This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you choose you chose to either view this on YouTube or listen to this on iTunes or Spotify. We always want to know how we're doing. Uh, we invite you to contact us. I can be reached at Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at cox.net. Let us know how we're doing and what we can do to make the podcast more relevant and meaningful to you. I am very happy today to welcome a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, the head of our health care ministry, a nurse practitioner, a wife, a mother, an all-around wonderful young lady, Dr. Courtney Luster. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Luster. Thank you so much, Pastor Smith, for having us and for all those nice things you just said. Well, you're a wonderful person, and you have a wonderful family. Tell us, who is Courtney Luster? Courtney Luster is a mom. I'm a wife. Uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner with a doctorate in um, nursing practice. Uh, I am a person who cares about my community, my patients, and just people in general, and I want the best health for all of us. How did you... Uh, come to the place where uh, you wanted to be a nurse practitioner uh, as opposed to uh, the more traditional, better-known route of of being a doctor? How how did you come to that conclusion? That's a good question. Um, Growing up, even from the age of five, I liked medical shows. Trapper John MD was my favorite Remember show. It very well. I had to beg to stay up at night to watch it because it came on past my bedtime. Gonzo Gates. Yes, I loved that show. But I always wanted to be a nurse. And so um, I came here to Southern University and I finished nursing school. And I've kind of worked in several roles as a nurse. I've been a director of nursing for a nursing home. And it was there um, where I decided that a nurse practitioner might be a good step for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a doctor who came there to see my residents, and I had a patient with something kind of rare, and I called the doctor and asked him, could I test the patient? And he laughed and said, you can, but I doubt in a million years that's what's wrong with him. So I got permission, and then on a Saturday at my house, he called me and said, oh, my God, you're right. That's what's wrong with the patient. And later, when he came back a month later, he was like, you always make rounds with me. I go other places, and, you know, it's just totally different. I think that you should look into being a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, this was 2001. I had no idea what a nurse practitioner was. I'd never seen a nurse practitioner. And he was like, you should look it up, and I think that Southern University has a program. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe they do. I know that when I finished undergrad, there were some other people who were getting a master's, and it was advanced practice nursing. Right. And I did a little research, and one day he came to the nursing home and wrote me a letter of recommendation and was like, I think that you should take that step. And it was a good step for me. Um, I went back to Southern and um, completed my master's in 2005 and took the test to become a um, certified nurse practitioner. And it gives me a lot of reward, helping people helping people to feel better. Most people in healthcare, when you ask them, that's why I became a healthcare person because I wanted to help people. And, you know, you should because it's a passion. All days aren't good days, but if you're doing what you love, you're able to make it. And you see where you actually can make a difference in people's lives and the way that they feel. 
Shiloh has three or four nurse practitioners, uh, if, yes. if, if I'm correct. Uh, are there various fields within nurse practitioner, uh, or is it a, a generalized field? To become a nurse practitioner, um, is there are several roles. Okay. They have acute care nurse practitioners, then they work in hospitals. Okay. Family nurse practitioners, most of family nurse practitioners work in clinics. They have pediatric nurse practitioners, and most of them work with um, peds at a pediatrician's office. Okay. Um, there are women's health nurse practitioners, and they work in GYN, obstetric areas. So there's multiple. So um, it's like doctors. It's uh, like doctors. There's uh, multiple subspecialties. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, you're my doctor. Uh, I, I, I tell people all the time when, when I go, I recently had to go to the hospital because of uh, a, a, a hernia that existed. And when they asked me who, who my GP was, I probably said Dr. Courtney Luster. Uh, do you find resentment from 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 doctors uh, that that people are making the choice to go to nurse practitioners as opposed to going to uh, uh, general practitioner uh, doctors? Yes, sir. I do find that there's resentment. Um, I worked in a hospital at first as a hospital nurse practitioner, mm -hmm. and I guess what sparked me. Um, was that so many patients would come back to the hospital before following up with their primary from this rural area where my clinic is now. Right. And I would ask them, what happened? You know, I sent you home with your meds, and I had an appointment for you the day you left. Oh, well, the doctor had to make an appointment. He had to cancel my appointment. He's working part-time, and he has some health problems, too. Mm -hmm. There's only one place to go in the area I live in. And, you know, you see that more frequently. You see that more doctors are specializing, and there's not many general practice or family practice doctors. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I want to be a doctor. It's that I want to continually help people and provide a service that's needed. You know, we're in a rural area. Thank God I've been there for 13 years. Right. And there's no other doctors that have come new. They've joined a practice a couple of miles down the road that was there. But all that time, that opportunity was there, and people didn't want to take it. I think sometimes people resent it, but you're not willing to do it. Right. Or they're not willing to serve the population that we serve. Right. Because for me, of course, I have to pay my bills, but it's not monetary. It's that I'm providing a needed service. Mm -hmm. And I see research that says people in rural areas, they don't do well with diabetes because they don't understand or because there's nobody there. You have to meet them where they are. And when you do, they do understand, and they can have good outcomes like anyone else. Right. In addition to the work that you do in Maringouin, and you also have a, a clinic a practice here, uh, uh, you are the head of our nursing and healthcare ministry here at Shiloh, which uh, we value very highly. What do you, how do you feel about the work that you do here around the church? I'm excited. Um, we have a team. It's not just me. Our team is awesome. There's 13 people on our team. And um, most are nurses, but two, Ellen McKnight and Yajira Robinson, they're not nurses, but they come in, they're first aid trained, and they help a lot. We're able to bring a lot of things to the congregation. Right. Um, I feel good that, and I hope that they know it's not just the programs, but anything that they would need, we're here. You know, they can always email me, and if there's anything I can help them with. 
Yeah. I want to be able to help them with and that. And you provide a lot of wonderful information uh, on a regular basis to people. You provide screenings and things of that sort for our members. You catch things uh, that perhaps would go unnoticed because some of us are reluctant to go to doctors. I, I, I don't know who I could possibly be talking about. But some of us aren't crazy about running to the doctor's office. So, so the screenings help to catch things uh, in a timely fashion. You guys do wonderful work. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and that's the main reason why I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast today, to give you an opportunity to talk about breast cancer awareness. Are we doing better uh, with regard to uh, testing and uh, dealing with breast cancer? We are doing better, but we still have a long world to go, um, especially for our community. African Americans are twice, we're four times likely to develop breast cancer than our counterparts. Um, and when we do, it's diagnosed in a later stage. The later the stage, the harder it is to treat. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing that we need to make sure we do is clinical breast exams annually. Anybody over 20 should see their primary care provider or whoever their health care provider is mm -hmm. um, for a wellness check. And that's where you just do a breast exam a manual breast exam mm -hmm. over the age of 39 at the age of 40, you should have that done every year and a mammogram. Um, basically early detection is the key. Like if we can get people on board to get a mammogram, there's so many myths about, Oh, it's going to hurt. Oh, I heard they smash you. And even I'm a healthcare provider. And before right. I had my first mammogram, I didn't tell the patients, but I had anxiety. I do an annual breast cancer um, drive with Women's Hospital where they bring the mobile unit to our office. So I went first to show them it's okay. We we're all going to do this together right. and we're going to help each other save our lives. And it was not what I expected at all the first year. I mean, and even the subsequent years, they've improved the technology. They have a 3D um, imaging. So the positioning of your body is the worst part of it. Mm -hmm. There was no pain. And that's the only way you're going to know. We have to do our part. The sooner we know, the more we can become aggressive about getting behind it and getting some treatment. There are so many programs now that offer free mammograms. Mm -hmm. If you're uninsured, if you're underinsured, those programs help. Susan Coleman um, has a grant, and they work with Women's Hospital to make sure um, that people who can't afford it are able to access health care. If there was anybody who needed a mammogram, they can contact me, and I can help them get a mammogram done. They don't have to be our patient. We contact you hires. They can contact me at kal at hcf medical clinic, hcf.org. I'm sorry, I have two. That's kal at hcfmed.org, O-R-G. Okay. Send me your name, a contact number, and what you need, and someone will respond within two business days. Okay. And we'll help you get what you need. You said that African Americans uh, contract uh, breast cancer at four times the rate of the rest of the country. Is that a dietary thing? Is that a hereditary thing? What's the what, what the what's the reasoning that, behind that? The reasoning behind that are the types of breast cancers that we are more likely affected with. They're um, estrogen receptive. It's her to estrogen receptive and progesterone receptive. Mm -hmm. Those are hormone based. Um, 
cancers and they're more aggressive. Okay. So we're more likely to get the more aggressive forms and we're less likely to get prevention. So that by the time we are being diagnosed, it's because we notice something significant, mm-hmm. um, like a lump or the changing in the tissue around the breast, mm-hmm. something major, weight loss, mm-hmm. something major ran us into the doctor's office to get it screened or to the healthcare provider to have a screening done. And usually that's when it's advanced instead of just showing up every year. You know, people all the time, you ask them, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, do you feel like you're in good health? Yes. How do you know? You know, we take our cars to get an oil change. Absolutely. They're, they come with a program that tells you it's time to bring your car in for maintenance, right. tire rotation. If we did maintenance on our bodies like we maintenance our cars, I think that we could have longer um, lives that are meaningful and we could eradicate some of the illnesses. Well, I think a lot of that is fear, uh, fear of 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 finding out. Some people are afraid of the unknown. Oh. Some people are afraid to know. And, and to me, that, that's two different things. Uh, if you have a family history of, of cancer, uh, if you have a family history of heart disease, if you have a family history of diabetes, if you have a family history of high blood pressure, you don't want to know that you might be a victim of one of these illnesses or diseases. So we tend to stay away from medical professionals, uh, which does not bode well for us because not knowing is not helpful uh, to to managing uh, whatever situation we may have. Uh, is that part of the reason why we, we, we don't come and get tests? We just don't want to know. We're afraid of knowing what, what could be out there. That's absolutely correct. When you ask people, why did you stay away so long? Or I have a patient who was coming on a regular basis for everything else. And then finally one day I was like, well, your blood pressure is doing great. Do you need anything else? And she just broke down in tears and was like, I have another problem. And indeed it was a problem. We got everything taken care of, but it was a breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like had we known, you knew something wasn't right. And if you shared that earlier on, not knowing doesn't make it go away. Right. It just means that the outcome may not be as well as it could be because we didn't get in with early prevention. Right. Early prevention and detection is the best thing we can do for any cancers, having your annual screenings. Women who have a history of breast cancer, they should start a baseline mammogram at 35. And then at 40, they start with the annual screenings. Okay. So they're, because they're more likely mm-hmm. because a first degree relative like your sibling your parent or your grandparent. Okay. Even men develop breast cancer. Right. So people don't realize that and they don't get screened. I had a gentleman at the church I used to serve uh, that suffered with breast cancer and, and actually was a breast cancer survivor. In fact, he was a, he was a survivor of cancer in three different areas of, of his body before he passed. But yes, that's how I, I, I came to know that men can develop breast cancer just like women can. So everybody needs to get screened, be aware, be in tune with your body. Something doesn't seem right, get it evaluated. Right. Um, breast cancer is, is, is very sensitive to me because uh, that's how I lost my mother. Uh, it's been 33 years uh, since she died with breast cancer. And I know that uh, advancements have been made in forms of detection and in care but uh, in her case the the cancer developed in her uh, left breast and then it metastasized and uh, it developed in the brain is that a common thing that 
cancer that starts in the breast moves to other parts of the body. If left untreated, it does. It continually it migrates to other parts of the body. Um, people get cancer, and sometimes when they come, because they haven't gotten routine visits, you they do a PET scan, mm -hmm. like a PET scan. And what a PET scan detects is any area that's high metabolism. And high metabolic areas are likely to be cancers. Mm -hmm. So if you have breast cancer, after they've decided your stages in a treatment plan, they do periodic PET scans to make sure that they're treating it all, they get it all, and that it has not spread to any areas. And people are not always aware of that. You kind of have to be your own advocate. I recommend all um, breast cancer survivors or people dealing with breast cancer to become a part of a support group. It's other people who are dealing with what you've dealt with, but mm -hmm. they can be a wealth of knowledge for you. Mm -hmm. um, there, I've had a patient who didn't have a PET scan after having breast cancer and because I, I don't know if it was an insurance coverage thing or she just didn't know to ask, and later mm -hmm. it came back somewhere else mm -hmm. when actually it actually just metastasized from a breast and it wasn't all treated. So that's important to do follow-up care, have a support system, and talk to other people, and research for yourself mm -hmm. so that you know the right questions to ask. In the past, our grandparents and parents, they weren't so um, comfortable advocating for themselves or asking questions. I feel like you have to be able to communicate with the healthcare provider. It's important to me that people are comfortable with me and that I answer their questions and even address at the end if they have questions. Right. I wouldn't continually go somewhere where I was uncomfortable getting my needs met or my questions asked. Right. Just as you've chosen to come to me, right. I'm grateful that you've chose me, and so I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job. And I wouldn't be doing that if I just ran in and said, oh, okay, Pastor, you feel better? Okay, you know, you have to do balances and checks and blood work and not just get a lab result and not have it explained to you. Yeah. Like that would be like me doing a diagnostic on my car and it tells me my catalytic converter, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So I need someone I can trust to explain it and fix it for me. And it's the same way with healthcare. And you have such a gentle uh, uh, manner about you. Uh, true story. When uh, I got sick this last time uh, with this hernia, I had no intentions of going to the doctor. I had no intentions of going to the hospital at all. And uh, my wife, Demetria, called you, and you called me. And you said, well, Pastor, if I could get you in in 15 minutes or less, and I have somebody there who's going to watch you the moment you get in, and you were so sweet about it, I, I felt like, well, yeah, I got to go <laughs> to the doctor now. And and two days later, I had surgery, and, and a week later, I was out, and I'm feeling much, much better. But you have such a wonderful disposition about you, and, and you carry yourself in such a wonderful way. Shiloh's nursing ministry. Is this unique? Do, do other churches have nursing ministries, and do you all talk to each other? And, and I honestly don't know the answer to that question. So I have been contacted by a few of the other churches with questions about, you know, um, consent forms, and I've shared information with them, several mm -hmm. churches in the area. Um, they do have it. I We were blessed that when I became a member of the church about 15 years ago, it was already in place, and I just joined the ministry um Miss Mary Dudley has been a um, director right. before. Miss Diane Matthews, they've had we've had good people. Miss um, Constance Hendricks yes. helped a lot to put a lot of things in place because she, I think she worked on a grant 
that was a faith-based grant that right. had integrated a healthcare ministry in the church. Right. I think it's really important to have um, a healthcare ministry in the church, and nothing is too small because it's another source of information to provide for people somewhere they're comfortable. Sometimes they don't know what they don't know, but if they're getting the information here, it opens their eyes to other things they should be screening for or asking questions about. Yes, ma'am. So, yes, I would like to see a healthcare um, committee in all churches. And maybe that's something in the future we can work on collaborating and establishing um, some kind of committee where we meet once a year and share ideas yeah. and information and collaborate together. That would be a good thing. That would yes. be a good thing. Your husband is an architect and a builder. Uh, your kids are about ready to move to the next level in school. Uh, how do you feel about your uh, decision to plant your flag here in Baton Rouge? You're, you're, you're not native to Baton Rouge. You're from Monroe. You're from North Louisiana. Yes. But, but you and your husband and your family decided to plant your flag here. How do you feel about Baton Rouge? I feel that it's, this was a, when I came here for college, um, this was a good place to be. I feel that it's a good place to raise a family. We're not where we should be, but I feel like we, we are working on it one day at a time. And, you know, we have to have a voice. I'm always very uh, impressed with the work that you and Reverend um, Bridget do here in the church. Reverend Jennifer Jones Bridget. Reverend Jennifer yeah. Jones Bridget. It's uh, a lot of places don't talk about social justice and voting, they feel like it's not a place and it should be separate, and I don't. I feel like what we need is exactly what we get here because if you don't know better, you can't do better. Right. I feel at this moment really disappointed in the number of people who did not go out and vote. Yes. And I, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this before the runoff election. I feel that it's, it's our responsibility. People died for us to have the right, and it influences the way that we live. A lot of, I discuss with patients often, before the Medicaid expansion, I'm not a person who can say no to somebody in need. I just don't have it in my heart. So there are people who, when you get it, you come back and pay. Right. And I deal with each person in, in, on their own recognizance. If they come back and pay and they get in a situation again, it's always there for them. You just have to keep your word and do your part. Even right. if you can't pay it at all, just make an attempt to, and we work with you. And I had to do that a lot before the Medicaid expansion right. because people who made more than $14,000, single person making more than $14,000 a year did not have health care because the that's Medicaid. That's tragic. That's tragic. Yes. They didn't have health care. And then there's so many, so many limitations on treating them because you're confined to a $4 list or what you have samples of. So the expansion opened up so much. We've been able to provide 750 screening mammograms for people who did not have coverage before the expansion in a small rural clinic. That's a lot. Is it possible for you, and, and I think I know the answer to this already, but is it possible for you to advocate for uh, people to vote through your clinic? We do. We yes. have voter registration applications, and yes. we actually help assist them to fill them out, and we mail them. We've had a few patients who have been convicted of felonies in the past, but so many years have passed, they didn't even realize 
that they could now be voted, registered to vote, and we were able to help facilitate that yeah. for them. We talk a lot about everybody I saw Saturday I was like, okay, you have to show me your sticker or you have to send us a picture back saying that you voted and show us your sticker. It's really important, and we can't take this for granted. Mm-hmm. People don't realize, you know, with our current governor, we were able to balance the budget. We were able to um, com- keep tops around. I, like you said, am a two-person household, but our son is a senior in high school and about to go to college. And, you know, some of the choices, the college college choices he made is 25000 a year. That's $100,000 if your child is able to go and finish in four years. Yes. And that's not the norm. It I usually understand. takes more than, like, five years or more. Yeah. And so to be a part of a state that offers tops, that's a huge thing and we should want to support somebody who can keep that going i don't think people realize how far that reaches that's the person who would no would not be able to attend college now they can become somebody who can maybe be a teacher and influence other people in their careers or a healthcare provider or so many different walks of life where people are coming back and because they were able to benefit from this this is who they are now and this is what they can add back to the community and for the record uh for those who are viewing or, or listening uh, in the most recent election here in Louisiana, 73.5% of eligible African-American voters chose not to vote in the October 12th election. 73.5% of eligible African-American voters in this state chose to not participate in the process. It's a terrible indictment on where we are as African Americans in this community, and we have to do a better job. And I appreciate the fact that in addition to your medical expertise, you're also a warrior for social justice. I'm grateful that you took the time to share with us today. I'm grateful for the information that you share. I'm grateful for the work that you do for Shiloh, and I want you to continue to do the work. I'm grateful for what you do for me, because you're my doctor as well, and my wife's doctor too now. So I'm very grateful to all for all the things that you do for us. Thank you for taking time to be a part of this today. Thank you so much, Pastor. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful to be able to worship somewhere where we have true leadership that not only affects our soul, but the way we live every day. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.